The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you longing for a place where hope, ideas, and new ways of thinking can arise? For nearly 50 years, Omega Institute's campus in Rhinebeck, New York, has been a gathering place where world-class teachers provide innovative educational experiences that cultivate extraordinary potential in us all. Join us either on campus or online. To learn more, visit eomega.org. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev, yogi, mystic, and visionary, who's known around the world for his humanitarian, educational, and environmental projects carried out by the Isha Foundation. Jaggi has spoken at the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, Harvard, Wharton, Microsoft, TED, Google, it just goes on and on and on. And he is the author of a new book called Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy. And this is his first book written for Westerners. And it came out in the, just this month in September. But last January, Sadhguru was recognized as one of the 100 trailblazers in yoga in the January-February issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Sadhguru, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. Good evening, Rabbi. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I've, I, I, when I was teaching philosophy at uh, Middle Tennessee State University, one of your disciples is also a professor of, of philosophy there, and he's given me some insight into your teachings, and this book was fantastic. So I'm... I'm eager to see where, where the conversation will go. But before we jump into the book, I'd like you to give our listeners a sense of your own spiritual journey. So let me just set this up for you. I know that you started your yoga practice when you were 12 years old under uh, Sri Raghavindra Swami. And then you went on to the university. You have a degree in English literature, as I understand it. And at age 25, you had this transformational awakening. That was back in 1982. But how do these things fit together? How did, did you maintain your yoga practice all those years? And you think it ripened into this awakening experience? Was there any connection to the university? Was it? Did you did you have an enlightenment experience reading Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> or was it something else? I I started yoga at the age of 12 for all the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> because I saw this particular teacher that you mentioned, Raghavendra Swami, uh, who, who had extraordinary uh, physical prowess. And as a wrestler, he was such an extraordinary wrestler and such a powerful human being. So I was just 11 or 12 years of age, and I was drawn to this. I thought... I could become a superhuman being or a superman by doing yoga. He, when I asked him, how do you do this? He said, come and do yoga. So I followed him like a little puppy to do some yoga. He just taught me something very simple. And uh, it kind of became, I mean, how we deliver yoga 
is not as a practice, not as a technique, but it's as a seed. Once it's put into you, uh, it just grows in you. You can't, it is not like something that you have to maintain. It just grows within you. So this yoga just grew within me. I had no clue that it had other dimensions to it. I was just doing it for physical and mental prowess, which it definitely gave me in any group of people, both physically and mentally, I would stand apart in those days. But uh, when I was 25, it is not, I cannot say I have a spiritual journey. I think for me, spirituality, I was bombed into spirituality. <laughs> mm. I did not aspire for it. I did not seek it. I was a super skeptic and I was not seeking anything uh, as such. Only thing is I had a billion questions about everything, but uh, I was more bombed into spirituality rather than seeking spirituality or being on a journey, really. And can you describe what you experienced at 25, the age of 25? Uh, trying to articulate this uh, always makes me inadequate because essentially it is like this. Uh, till that moment, you, as every other human being thinks, I thought this is me and that is somebody else. This experience rendered me to a place where I did not know which is me, which is not me. What was me seemed to be all over the place and there was no this and that. There was no me and somebody. Everything became like me. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't make logical sense, but that is how experientially it became for me that I could not draw a line as to which is me and which is not me. I, I was able to sit in a place and experience almost everything as myself. Like, for example, we all know that every human being knows that, uh, you know, whether they're constantly aware of it or not, we are all breathing. And breathing means in some way what we exhale, the trees are inhaling, what the trees exhale, we are inhaling. Or in other words, a part of our breathing apparatus is hanging out on the tree, but that is not there in our experience. So suppose you truly experience that one part of you is up in the tree, then the level of... Uh, intimacy that you have with everything around you is so phenomenal and overwhelming. So this is what happened to me. Like the entire cosmos was like, like uh, my ten fingers in my hands, like that it became within myself, that just everything, the whole universe was me. Uh, this doesn't make logical sense, but that is the reality of the existence which exploded on me. I didn't seek it. I was not looking forward to it. Nor did I know such a thing existed. It just, I got bombed into it, as I said. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, because it, it, to me, it does make logical sense. I mean, even just the way you explained it, that without the trees, we can't exist. So they're, they're part of my body and the tree, trees need the earth and the sun and the water. And so all of these things are me. So I think there's a logic to it. But what I hear you saying is that you experienced it from the inside, if that, if that makes sense. In other words, you, you could say, I mean, I, I can say that I am connected to the trees the way you explained it, but I can't say I am the tree the way I can say I am my, my head, you know, or my body. You have an intimacy, I'm asking, 
you have an intimacy with the universe itself from the inside. Is that is that fair? See, uh, the nature of uh, human experience is such, whether it's joy or misery, agony or ecstasy, pain or pleasure, everything happens only inside of us. In fact, nothing has ever happened to any human being outside of them. They have never experienced anything outside. Everything, including light and darkness, only happens within us. Right. So, how much happens within us simply depends upon to what levels of perception are we willing for, or what is the level of willingness of this life, that this life is a completely... Today, modern physics is proving to us that uh, every atom in the existence in some way connected subatomic particles are uh, communicating with each other, all these kind of uh, you know, physical explanations. But this is a fact that existence is happening as one whole, not as individual parts. And we are just a part of that. Now, the thing is, though we are a tiny droplet of this creation, if we become an absolutely willing piece of creation, then the very source of creation is within ourselves. This is, I'm not talking philosophy, this is a living experience for me, the entire existence within myself. And this is possible for every human being. My, my whole work in the last 35 years has just been this, creating devices and methods so that people can experience the nature of their existence, which is universal, which is not limited to the boundaries of this body. Uh, I mean, as I said, the breath is just an example, but it is happening on all levels of existence. Yeah, yeah, very, very, I think you're putting it very clearly. So let me, let me tell you a story, a true story. I was flying back to Nashville, and on the plane was this fellow who's wearing a T-shirt. It, it, it came from one of your retreats. And I asked him about the shirt, and he told me that he was, uh, had been uh, spending a, a few days with you. And I said, well, what was that like? And he said, I don't know. My wife loves him, and she dragged me to it. And he said, <laughs> and he, said, <laughs> he said, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a scientist. I'm a skeptic when it comes to all this stuff. But I got to tell you, and, and I remember this, he says, Jaggy is the real thing. This stuff, <laughs> this stuff works. And then I said, so what's the stuff? And he goes, oh, I can't explain it. <laughs> so what's the stuff? What, what is it that we're to do? Uh, and we'll get into the, you know, the, the inner engineering piece in a minute. But in general, can you explain a little bit about the meditation practice you teach? Uh, I, I mean, it just so impressed this fellow and... Um, and, and he was a skeptic. He didn't. He didn't. Didn't go there to have an experience. But he, he absolutely. <laughs> but did. it's a good reason to come because his wife loves me. <laughs> uh, the thing is, see, there is no stuff. There is only one stuff. There is no. When you say stuff, people think it's some kind of a substance that they can do. Uh -huh. This is not something that you can do. You can become this, but you can never do this. Spiritual process is not something that you can do. You can become that, but you cannot do it. Right now, the biggest problem with uh, today's world is, uh, today's human beings are, that the education systems are such 
that right from our childhood we've been taught as to how to use everything. Our science is always looking at how to use everything in the universe. We know how to use an invisible atom, but we don't know a thing about ourselves. So this fundamental attitude has to be dropped if one wants to become meditative. It is not about how to use a particular technique towards a certain goal. We become too goal-oriented. When we say goal-oriented, in yoga there is a way of uh, saying this. We say if you are goal-oriented, it means your one eye is on the goal. That means you have only one eye to find your way, which is an inefficient way of doing life. So this is about becoming that. This is not about there is some stuff that you can do. There is no meditation. There is no such thing as a meditation practice. You can become meditative. If you cultivate your body, if you cultivate your mind, if you cultivate your emotions and energies to a certain level of maturity, you become meditative. It's just like growing flowers in your garden. If you want flowers in your garden, you don't have to pray for flowers. If you, you don't even have to think flowers. If you take care of the soil, manure, water, sunlight, flowers will happen in plenty. So this is just like that. If you create the necessary condition, you become meditative. Meditation is like a fragrance with which you live. It is not something that you do. You can become that. So uh, the, way, uh, the, thing, the way it's being done here is that it's not a teaching, it's not a technique, it's not a philosophy, it is not a belief system. It is just a way, a method of making yourself available to the larger process of life. So, I mean, is, I mean, you're using the word method, and that sort of implies something to do, but I, I know that's not what you intended. So is, is the idea that each of, it, each of us has an innate, intrinsic capacity to be meditative, and that you're helping us cultivate that? The, uh, the thing is, when it comes to external realities, uh, when it comes to physical capabilities, intellectual capabilities, all of us are made differently. No two human beings are made the same way. But when it comes to inner possibilities, we are not made differently. Every one of us is capable of this. Whatever is, whatever is my experience of life, whatever is the profoundness of my existence, every human being is capable of this. So this is why it becomes very important. If it came to, you know, you want to run 100 meters in uh, whatever, 9 seconds or 8 seconds, like Mr. Bolt, uh, your body may not be up to it. You want to climb Mount Everest, you may not be up to it. You want to become the richest man, you may not be up to it. But you want to become meditative. In this, all of us are equally equipped. There is no distinction between you and me or anybody or anybody because inner possibilities, when it comes to inner dimension, each one of us are equally endowed. There is nobody better endowed than the other. So even if the other things don't happen, what you do in the world is a question of certain capabilities which are different from person to person. But what we do in, within ourselves, how we keep ourselves within ourselves, how wonderful or blissful an individual human being can be within themselves. Above all, how joyfully can you exist here? For this, all of us have the same capability. It is just that we have never looked at it in that direction. And the subtitle of the book is A Yogi's Guide to Joy. It sounds like you're understanding joy in the context, context of 
being meditative, of, of being aware of your true self, which is the universe? See, uh, I mean, to, to describe what this is, it is like, see, today modern science is telling you that every human experience has a chemical basis to it. This means who you are in some way is like a chemical soup. The question is only, are we a great soup or a lousy soup? That's all it is. If I give the same soup-making ingredients to ten different people, they don't come up with the same soup. They all come, with, come up with ten different types of soups. That's all that's happened to all of us. We are all fundamentally the same ingredients, but see in how many ways we have become. So this is, in a way, uh, the ingredients are already there. You don't have to invent anything. It is just a little bit of soup-making soup skill. If you get it right, suddenly it tastes great, everything. So when everything tastes great, you are joyful. If the taste of life in you, within you is very, very pleasant, then we say you're joyful. So, I mean, this is very, very clear, powerful uh, teaching that, that you're offering. And you take it in the book, you take it just even beyond the individual. I want to read something that you wrote in the book that I just found very, very important. You say, the only solution for all the ills that plague humanity is self-transformation. Self-transformation is not incremental self-improvement. Self-transformation is achieved not by morals or ethics or attitudinal or behavioral changes, but by experiencing the limitless nature of who, you, of who we are. That's the quote. So how, again, I guess I keep coming back to this how, um, how does the limited self uh, experience the, the limitless self, the limitless, limitless nature, Atman, is there, are we always experiencing it, but we don't realize it? And, and that's what happens when, when we uh, cultivate meditative state, or is it something else? See, always it's the same reality. See, this is, for, for example, right now, we are talking to each other. This is a round planet. It is spinning at great speed, traveling at great speed. And uh, the solar system itself is moving. And in the middle of some hundred billion galaxies or more, here we are talking on the telephone. This is not happening just because of you and me. There are a million forces which are holding us in place. For all these million forces to function in tandem, there must be something fundamental which does these things in such absolute uh, harmony that we don't know where it begins, where it ends, but here in the middle of nowhere, you and me are having a telephone conversation, all right? Mm -hmm. So this is this universality of the existence because it is happening as one being. The whole existence is happening as one being, including yourself. It is just that, just because there is a survival process to take care of, there is some sense of separation within us. If we know how to keep our instinct of survival aside, you will naturally become meditative. You will naturally experience this. Meditation or meditativeness is not by doing something. It is, it is the nature of the existence. It is just that with the evolutionary process from uh, being uh, whatever else to being human today, we have a certain cerebral capability. We have an ability to uh, retain memory and use that 
to generate thought and think about something, project into future, this capability. This psychological drama has overtaken the existential reality. If you know how to keep your psychological drama aside, then existential reality is it's happening as one big happening. It is not separate happening. You cannot exist separately. I cannot exist separately. Nor this planet can exist separately. Everything is happening as one big happening. It is only because of the psychological drama that's happening in people's minds, they feel they are a world by themselves. Okay, that makes, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, I, I, that, that, that was so clear. Uh, I don't think we should add anything else to it. I think that's the point we <laughs> ought to end. That, that was really excellent. Uh, you know, we, we only have this short time to talk, and you've really packed it in with some magnificent things. And, uh, you know, you're only, I mean, you're less than two-hour drive from where I live. I'm going to have to come and visit. <laughs> you must come and visit us, uh, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. My guest today was Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev. He's the author of Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy. You can learn more about Sadhguru's work at his website, isha.sadguru.org. Sadhguru, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yoga sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.